lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show. We are live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre are here with me as well. If you'd like to join us today, it's 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. That's D-E-A-C-E. Parlor at Steve Dace. And then our new youtube channel is youtube.com slash steve dace lots of freebies posted there every day that you can sample yourself and then share with others also don't forget my new book due out december 15th pre-sales have now begun you can go to barnesandnoble.com amazon.com and pick up the sequel to my book a nefarious plot which we are now turning into a film and you can get the sequel book a nefarious carol out for christmas here in just a few months get the pre-sales going if you want to get that for you or someone you care about for Christmas. All right, coming up here today, a typical busy Tuesday. Fred Lucas of the Heritage Foundation is going to join us at the bottom of the hour as we look back on Russian collusion, impeachment. He has a new book out going uh, inside those stories. We'll do that here at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, we are going to play fake news or not as we do, but we are going to do something we don't do very much anymore. We're going to go ahead and feature the other America. Joe Biden came out, gave a speech yesterday, attempting to reset his campaign. Isn't that what a convention is for? You had a convention, and now you have to do a reset because you're on the wrong side of the issues right now. We'll get into that here more in a moment. But we're going to look at some of the clips from Democrat uh, presidential nominee Joe Biden's, uh, well, it's not, it was a press conference. It was before the press. He read off a teleprompter poorly. Uh, but uh, dementia-riddled people do. And that's not a slam. It's sad, actually. Uh, and took no questions, as Joe is wont to do. Uh, and then walked off. Okay? Uh, but we're going to get into some of those clips and play fake news or not with them Next hour. And then for Pop Culture Tuesday, we were already going to address this topic anyway. And then the president weighed in with quite the tweet just a little while ago that he just got off the phone with Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren, who, by the way, back in June was telling Yahoo Sports that he was hoping that he could organize Big Ten athletes to sway the next presidential election. (laughs) And... I don't know. Somebody you all know might have made sure some people at the Trump campaign were aware of that story. Not mentioning any names. I don't want to out anybody. But somebody you're all quite fond of, and I got to admit, I I kind of adore him myself, um, made very sure the Trump campaign was aware that the commissioner of the Big Ten Conference was openly discussing mobilizing voters against him a couple of months ago. And lo and behold, the president has a conversation with Kevin Warren, tweets about it today. I urged him, hey, time to play some football. It's safe. Get going immediately in the Big Ten. We're going to get into that. And we're going to look at some of the numbers in the Big Ten Conference some of the latest virus numbers and ask you, how much lower can these possibly go without 
herd immunity, which was science in, in on this third rock from the sun for 7,000 years, but suddenly now is voodoo. It's a controversial strategy. Yes. Without herd immunity or a meaningful vaccine that gets you to herd immunity, I don't mean like a therapeutic one, like a meaningful one. Um, like, you know, like where we get rid of smallpox and defeat polio, that kind of stuff. Not the therapeutics we put out today. Our local grocer has a sign in the parking lot Guys, I'm, I know I'm sounding like Todd. I am pro-vaccine. I'm just anti-BS, okay? I am anti-BS, all right? Have you guys seen the sign? Aaron, you're in, you live in my hood. Have you seen yeah. the sign at the local hy V parking lot where you, where you pull in now, now more accurate, or what's it say, uh, more uh, efficient shingles vaccine? Shingles. One that works. We now have a shingles. Previously... We were urging you to come into our drugstore and get a shingles vaccine that did not work. But we now want, ladies and gentlemen, have you seen these signs in the parking lot? I, I we can, now have a shingles vaccine that we think works. I can only think that uh, your reaction was the same reaction you gave me when I said, I like doing less or more work, less work for more pay just as much as the next guy before the show today. Huh? Yes. Do so yes. you mean that the, the vaccine was not efficient before? Yes. It wasn't working before? When I pulled in there the other day, it was my wife's birthday. I decided to go buy some impromptu flowers. I see that sign in the parking lot I slammed on my brakes thankfully no one was behind me wanting to know if I read that right we now this, this shingles vaccine works now I mean that's what the science says alright so without a meaningful vaccine yes no I'm not coming to your side this is my right? best Mr. Burns excellent but I am I, I'm with you on the BS around a lot of this big pharma stuff I'm with you on that alright so um, without a meaningful vaccine without herd immunity Tell me how we get these numbers any lower in an area as densely populated as the Big Ten footprint. You know, with cities like Detroit, Chicago, Minneapolis, they have a few people. New Jersey is the most densely populated state in the country. Maryland's number five. All of these states are in our footprint. How do we get the numbers any lower than this without a vaccine or without natural herd immunity? How do we do it? Karen's on the case. Telling uh, Iowa State's uh, athletic director and allowing fans, and you're going to die, just ratcheting it up to 11, Steve. She's on it. Indeed. Indeed. Someone you know and adore is going to make sure he's at that very first Iowa State football game, by the way. But before we get to all of that, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by following, you know, the science. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, along with the newest member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, Stanford's Dr. Scott Atlas, went off yesterday as an appeals court upheld Florida's decision to reopen their schools after a lawsuit was filed by teachers in the state against reopening. We will never do any of these lockdowns um, again. And I hear people say they'll shut down the country. And honestly, I cringe because we know places that have done that. The most draconian lockdown in the world has been Peru, military in force since March. They have the highest per capita mortality in the world from COVID. And at best, what a lockdown will do is delay. It does not reduce the ultimate uh, mortality. But I think Dr. Alice would agree It creates a lot of other problems. Dr. Scott Atlas, the subject of a recent hit piece by the Washington Post, discussed the dangers of keeping schools closed. Children have no no serious risk from this disease. It's very safe for them. They can handle this. And uh, many of them, most of them, in fact, the majority of them are asymptomatic, even if they test positive. That's point number one. Point number two, we can never underemphasize 
that when you close schools to in-person learning, it is enormously destructive. Not just the fact that, lang that reading skills go down 30%, math skills go down 50%. Learn distance learning alone is a failure. Someone alluded up here to these other things like the health risks to children. That's where we discover vision or hearing needs. That's where child abuse is reported. That's the number one agency where child abuse is reported. So it's an estimated 215,000 cases of child abuse were never visible and never reported just during the first two months of the lockdown. These are serious, enormous problems with not having in-person schools. Moving on, Joe Biden got out of his basement and headed to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. COVID has taken this year, just since the outbreak, has taken more than 100 years. Look, here's the lives. It's just, it's, I mean, you think about it. More lives this year than any other year for the past 100 years. More on that later in the show. In completely unrelated news, a national poll from Emerson College published yesterday shows the presidential race tightening. The poll shows Biden leading President Trump 49% to 47%. That same poll shows Trump picking up nearly 20% of the black vote, nearly 40% of the Hispanic vote, and leading Biden among the white vote 56 to 41%. Demonstrations happened last night in Los Angeles after police shot a black man who was armed with a handgun. Police and stopped the man for a traffic violation, after which the man became belligerent and tussled with the officers. Rioting and vandalism once again gripped downtown Portland, Oregon last night. Who the hell knows what they're still rioting about? But this time, they seem to be especially upset with Mayor Ted Wheeler for some reason, as they shot off fireworks outside his downtown condo and set fires in the streets. President Trump spoke with Laura Ingram yesterday regarding Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organization you remember pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. That was the first time I ever heard of Black Lives Matter. I said, that's a terrible name. It's so discriminatory. It's bad for black people. It's bad for everybody. President Trump also defended Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old who shot and killed two rioters in self-defense in Kenosha, Wisconsin last week. That was an interesting situation. You saw the same tape as I saw. And uh, he was trying to get away from them, I guess, it looks like. And he fell, and then they very violently attacked him. And it was something that we're looking at right now, and it's under investigation. But uh, I, I guess he was in very big trouble. He would have been—he probably would have been killed. But it's under—it's under investigation. And finally, the country lost one of its more inspirational actors over the weekend. Chadwick Boseman was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer in 2016 but kept filming and working the last few years. In his career, Bozeman portrayed Jackie Robinson, James Brown, Thurgood Marshall, and most recently was renowned for his portrayal of T'Challa in the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Black Panther. That final role as Black Panther was a supreme inspiration to untold numbers as he became the first black superhero to star in his own film. Before his passing, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon allowed fans of the movie to record what they thought would be a video message to the actor, thanking him for his amazing and inspirational portrayal of T'Challa. I actually saw it four times. I do have a life, but I saw it four times. I saw it once uh, with my girlfriend. Also, I want to thank you for having your suit on for most of the movie because when your chest was out, she was getting a little excited and I felt insecure, so thank you for that. Um, and it means a lot to see a movie that's not like a black movie, but it's just a great American superhero movie with uh, you know people that look like me, so thank you. Like, Yo! Oh! Oh, okay, okay, okay. 
Okay, yeah. okay, what's going on, bro? What's going on, bro? I'm glad that you got your muscles covered again. I'm glad that you got your muscles covered because if you would have been all, all brolic and stuff, it would have been weird because my girl would have seen him and be like, why don't you get his number? So I'm glad. And that's what happened while we were away. That video, that whole video, I saw that. Uh, first thing I saw on my Twitter feed when I got up Saturday morning was that video. Uh, there's a young woman that uh, is a is a graduate of Howard University, uh, is at just the same as Chadwick Boseman was. There's a, a young ma- a mom who brings her young son. Um, she's a single mom, brings her son to see the film, looking for powerful, strong, masculine role models. I mean, that whole video, it's tough to get your attention and keep your attention with a nine or 10 minute video these days. I... I was enthralled by the entire thing. And it was, I mean, it just made me smile first thing in the morning. And let's face it, there's a lot of things these days that that don't make you smile first thing in the morning. So just um, the guy made 10 movies after being diagnosed with stage three colon cancer, including those MCU movies that are physically demanding. Um, He's done all kinds of humanitarian work. I mean, just a dude, man. That, that was just a dude. And if you've never seen his portrayal of Jackie Robinson alongside Harrison Ford as Branch Rickey in 42, I'm a big Jackie Robinson guy. Um, just incredible. The movie's incredible. And you know why I love a Jackie Robinson? Because he was very, he was a soldier, had some disciplinary issues in the military, very fiery, and found a way to tame the worst edges of that at a time that he could not afford to be provoked in order to blaze a trail. And I've tried to emulate that many times, most of them unsuccessfully, <laughs> right? But um, uh, just um, a huge fan of his work. I mean, I mean, played Floyd Little, Ernie Davis, or no, uh, Ernie Davis, Jim Brown, right? Was he Jim Brown? Or was he Floyd Little? I can't remember. Jackie Robinson, third good marshal. See a trend there? I mean, he I mean, he made a specialty out of playing folks that were racial pioneers in their day. So um, gone, obviously, way too soon. Something else that is making me smile right now. Guys, I got to just be straight up, man. Trump is cash money right now. I mean, the messaging you saw in that montage, that's prime rib, brother. I mean, that, that is grade A, Angus beef, grass-fed, because cows don't eat corn. you never driven down a, a, a farm, seen a farm on the side of the road. Hey, mom, look, the cows, the cows are eating corn. No, they eat grass, all right? I mean, that is, that messaging and stuff on BLM, on what's going on right now. That's the sweet spot of the bat talk. That That's when the pitch is thrown and it feels like the bat is an extension of your hand and it's just plush. And, and what I like about it is he's actually, this, these are examples of him now advancing our narrative. One of the things that's been exceedingly uncomfortable to me all along about his candidacy and then into his presidency, it was much worse during his candidacy, but then during his presidency, he began doing things that we liked 
But then when he did stuff we didn't like, there was this expectation that we allow him to co-opt our narrative. At least you felt that pressure, right? Yeah. This is now, he is now a proxy for our narrative. And that is powerful messaging. And if he stays on that message, I believe he's going to win. If you look at that Emerson poll, not since 1960 when Jackie Robinson endorsed Richard Nixon, by the way. And Richard Nixon received 32% of the black vote in that election. Which, for those of us that are alive today, a Republican getting 32% of the black vote seems like that like never happened, right? In 1960, people were like, you know, Richard Nixon lost because only got 32% of the black vote. You know who one of those black people were? Hmm. Jackie Robinson. Jackie, yeah, I just said, because that was the last time, yeah, when Jackie Robinson endorsed Richard Nixon, yeah. correct. Um, in 1960, that was an upset that a Republican only received that amount of the black vote. And it probably did uh, sway the election as well as uh, some chicanery in the city of Chicago. But um, it, that's how long it's been since a Republican has gotten more than 15% of the black vote. Emerson is, is, is forecasting 19% for Trump, and it's it's per first full post-convention poll. It also has Trump at 37% amongst Hispanic voters. I know you guys have all been told that George, George W. Bush, because he spoke Spanish, was very, very popular with Hispanics. He got 40% of the Hispanic vote in 2000, his first election. That's the highest a Republican has received since we began charting hispanic voting demographics i think it was 1976 i want to say is the first election we started doing that he got 40 percent. that was his high watermark okay so if if trump were to get 37 percent of the hispanic vote that would tie ronald reagan's re-elect in 1984 for the second highest percentage of hispanic voters any republican presidential candidate has received so if he's going to get a historic amount of black voters a historic amount of Hispanic voters and win whites by 15 points, guys. He is not only going to win the electoral comp college confidently or comfortably, he's going to win the popular vote with those numbers. Unless California just does a mail-in vote and, you know, Trump loses 81 to 19 or something like that. <laughs> All right. But outside of the, the those specific states where they're mail-in voting now, and they will be mail-in voting for until Evs. Valentine's Day. For Evs, y'all. That's right. Okay, so in, it's going to take something. There's no way you don't win the popular vote if you're a Republican winning white voters by 15 points. And they're not the majority, the super majority they used to be. They're still 66% of the electorate. So you're going to get, you're going to win 66% of the electorate by 15 points. You're going to get a historic number of Hispanics and you're going to get a historic number of black voters. You're not losing the popular vote unless we're just uh, uh, we're on our seventh round of mailbags. The California voting office is like the final scene of Miracle on 34th Street. Guys, we got more bags. We found some more. That's what it would take to not win the popular vote. But if he does that, he's going to win the Electoral College more comfortably than he did four years ago. You're looking at probably flipping states now like a Minnesota, for example. Um, I... I there's there's no way that he won't win re-election with those kinds of numbers. And I think the fact that you saw Biden come out yesterday and attempt to pivot his campaign after his own convention 
indicates they know this. Remember what I've told you before. If you want to know, you know what the private polling says. And if you've never been in a campaign, it's hard for me to explain to you how much better the private polling is. It's not that it's necessarily more accurate as much as it's more thorough. Because any poll, is, its final result is the weighting of, of the pollster himself, right? But the amount of information that is available to you. Like in the Cruz campaign, man, we could find out um, what church you went to. Okay? I mean... The, the amount of information that is available to you that you can then quantify is so much more than even what you're going to get out of the best of public polls. And is it true that while publicly they'll be spinning, oh, everything's great no matter what, privately, aren't they probably brutally honest with themselves? If Yes, especially with the... Not, not all campaigns want that. They don't. Frankly, there, there have been times, I know for a fact, that Trump's reelect campaign has, not, has felt like they could not be honest with him. When things were looking really bleak in April and May, for example. Okay. <clears throat> now, with the Biden campaign, you don't have to worry about that because the Biden campaign isn't about Joe Biden. He's obviously not calling the shots. He's a proxy. We all know that, right? But okay, it does the, seem like they're being brutally honest it, 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 with themselves. It, 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 so if you can see their own behavior, look at the behavior of the campaigns. Now, I said this a few months ago when Trump was talking about, hey, our numbers are great. Well, then why are you firing Brad Parscale? Right? Right. Right. Look at it. Same, and I've, I've used the analogy of college football recruiting before. The recruiting services at Rivals 24-7, ESPN, they're they're better than they ever used to be, but they're still not as knowledgeable as the coaches themselves are, right? Right. So if you want to, you know, look at, look, if you you really want to know how good a player is, look at the schools recruiting him even more so than what his rating is. Who do you think knows more about how good a player is? Nick Saban or Mike Farrell at Rivals? And Mike Farrell will tell you, Nick Saban knows more than me, right? Look at the, similarly, look at the behavior of the campaigns. They will tell you where they think they are. They will tell you. I mean, the fact that Kellyanne Conway was on CNN at five o'clock on election night, blaming the RNC for not sharing their data with the election campaign, tells you that their data showed them they were going to lose that night. I mean, I had, I had somebody who works for Fox News on election night feeding me the internal campaign data from the Trump campaign that they gave to Fox News. They thought they were going to lose. They were very surprised on election night that they won. <laughs> All right? Look at their behavior. They'll tell you. I mean, they, have, they, they spin in front of the camera like the movie Irresistible, right? Where uh, Steve Carell looks at What's-Her-Face, who's playing a poor knockoff on Kellyanne Conway, and says, crap, it's true now, because she said it. It's my favorite <laughs> right. line from the movie. <laughs> right. Because she said it on camera, it's true now. But, but don't look at what they say, look at what they do. Their behavior will tell you. And the fact that they feel like they've got to reboot Biden a week after the convention indicates they, the ground is shrinking underneath their feet. And what's happened is the environment has changed. And it didn't change by anything the Republicans did. You can't really change an environment, folks. I've told you that for years. You don't change an environment. It changes you. Old man, go out there and yell at cloud all he wants. You ain't the cloud. So the environment in this, cha- in this country changed because of Kenosha, Wisconsin. And it changed overnight. Overnight, basically, the American people just said, you know what, dude, this is... Kenosha, Wisconsin, and the guy's a rapist, maybe? Really? 
Hey, totally agree. Shouldn't have shot the guy seven times in the back, maybe. But maybe if you're already have a warrant for your arrest for sexual assault and your girlfriend doesn't want you back there, don't show up. You know, I, I, I just think collectively instinct that instinctive America that we talked about yesterday just said, you know what, dude, I just we're, we're, so. We had the virus numbers go low, then we had all these riots, and we had to lock down again. Virus numbers go low, and now yep. we're going to do all these. We're going to reset. No, my kid's got to go to school. I want my life back. It's September almost. Time to move on. All right? We gave you six months. Time to move on. with. And, and instinctively, the American people just said, we're not running it back. We're not doing a replay of, of what went on this summer. Nope. The answer is just no. And the environment just changed immediately. And the problem was the Democrats had their convention already in the can. Most of it was canned because of the virtual aspect. And, and, and they played to their base like they did the whole primary. Well, to their most left base they did. They just did a replay of that. So they had all, they put, they put their foot forward in front of the American people before the environment changed and then the environment changed. And it changed into an issue conversation that fits Trump. And unlike when we were having this conversation in June, this time he did more than tweet, he acted. He went right at the Portland mayor, one-on-one. Went right at the Wisconsin governor one-on-one and then the next day won that argument and sent the troops in. You'll notice Kenosha's been fairly quiet ever since then. He went right at the Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren. We're not just passively tweeting stuff now. Now we're acting like a president. We're using the power of the bully pulpit and of the, uh, the, the power I also wield in actuality. Now I'm seen as your proxy pushing back against this. And people are like, that's what we want. And now the Democrats are in trouble. Trump was never going to win if the argument was virus paranoia. He can't win. He can't mask down enough. He can't lock down enough because his own base is going to fight him the whole time. And you did. You fought him the whole time. He was often messaging against his base. Remember when he was out there, one day we're doing a reopening presser. Georgia reopens. And then the next day I'm blasting Georgia for recklessly, right? He can't win that argument. He can't get to Joe Biden's left on that. But Joe Biden can't win this argument, provided Trump leads on it. He can't ever get to Trump's right. His own base will fight him on being trying to be whole hardcore law and order. His own base will fight him on that. I believe in the next 63 days, that's how many days we have left, they're going to try to contrive an event. And I tried to think to myself this morning, if I was on their team, what can I do to see if I could shift the environment? Or, or perceive that the environment has shifted. Because a lot of times, because of their dominance of the media, they convince a lot of Republicans the environment has shifted when it hasn't. And then the Republicans, just like lemmings, go along with it. This is where, we get, this is where we've gotten phrases in the past like silent majority, forgotten Americans. Because Republicans just think, hey, that's what's trending on Politico today. It's all over the networks. That's where everybody's at. And, and, and the people that would ever think of voting for them in the rest of the country are like, uh, what's a Politico? We don't know. We don't read that. We just know we don't want uh, riots in the suburbs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. And so this is how they're going to try to contrive to Republicans that the environment has shifted. I believe they're going to conjure up panic porn on a second wave to try to get all the schools to shut down again in about a month. And I think that's the only play they have left. They'll drag the teacher unions, which they put back in the closet because they were killing them. They're going to drag them all out. 
maybe mass mass sit-ins, demonstrations of teachers who walk off the job, um, things of that nature. And it's going to be up to Trump now to push through this in ways he didn't push through after the 15 days to flatten the curve expired at the 1st of April. And he needs to look at what Ron DeSantis did yesterday with Scott Atlas, that press conference, man. Dude, that was Georgia Tech Cumberland College, 222 to nothing. They just went out there and just routed him. Like nobody scored. Like they didn't get a first down. I mean, that was just a pile driving. That was a political assassination is what that was. What Ron DeSantis and Scott Atlas did yesterday. And the, and, and the Trump White House better be prepared this time. To push through this, not believe that that's what the environment is, and say, "Hey, tell you what, you guys do this. We're not. T- you're not getting any funding from us. We're sh- and we'll, we'll, you'll stop your funding right now. Direct Treasury, you won't get funding right now. Not happening. Because I think this is going to be the final play they're going to do to see if they can perceive or 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 get their media to concoct an idea that they have artificially changed the environment." That's my prediction of the, the, the final play they will make um, to try to get their momentum back in the next 63 days. We'll have more on that a little bit later on. When we come back, Fred Lucas from Heritage Foundation is going to join us about his new book. Stay tuned. Did you know the average American has 97 points they can add to their credit score yet has no idea how to get to them? Well, that's where ScoreMaster comes in. It's the new credit science that super boosts your credit score because it empowers you. Forget raising your credit score just a few points. The average ScoreMaster user can raise their score 61 points in 20 days or less because you're given the path for how to get there. Why your score is where it's at. And then how you can correct it and how long it will take. You know, the kind of information you don't typically get when they deny you the loan or the or maybe even the job nowadays because your credit score is too low. Uh, and this works for businesses as well. Uh, if you want to make sure that you've got credit, that's essential uh, for you to have capital to invest and grow your business. ScoreMaster can help you get that as well. Enroll in minutes and see how many plus points ScoreMaster can add to your credit score. Visit scoremaster.com slash Steve. Again, that's scoremaster.com slash Steve. One more time scoremaster.com slash Steve. I keep this on my computer, uh, even my laptop here that I use for the show. I check it all the time. It is fascinating to see how much different this process is when that information is open, transparent, available. You mean like when CDC finally starts stratifying their data uh, and you see that People between the ages of 15 and 24 are 0.2 or 0.2% of COVID-19 deaths in the country, yet 12.9% of the uh, population. And so why is any high school college in America closed? Why are we not playing high school college sports with those numbers everywhere in America? Like when CDC points out that only 6% of the deaths uh, were strictly from covid or of COVID, as opposed to with, meaning COVID was one of a comorbidity. And in the other 94% of deaths, they had an average of 2.1 other comorbidities. See how powerful that transparency is. When the New York Times blows the whistle over the weekend on, well, 
there were conservative media people and figures uh, online who blew the whistle on our testing practices all along. They just got banned from social media when they did. But the New York Times finally does it and says, hey, 40 to 90% of our testing, depending on where you live in the country, it's somewhere between 40 and 90% everywhere, all 50 states, depending on what your sensitivity level is, are false positives. That's why you see stories out of Newsweek yesterday. All these positive tests at the University of Alabama, no symptoms, no hospitalizations, because a whole people that a whole bunch of people that are not contagious, maybe have a viral artifact, um, are being given positive tests right now. Transparency is empowering. Uh, a bunch of Nebraska football players go into a court of law and say to the Big Ten, "We kind of want to see your notes. We kind of want to see where you guys are coming from." And lo and behold, now we're getting all kinds of information. And Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, has gone from proudly telling Yahoo he's going to organize Big Ten players to sway the next presidential election to, yes, Mr. President, I'll happily take your call. Can you help me get out of this mess? <laughs> right? Transparency wins. Uh, a new book wants to provide some transparency on one of the more shadowy stories that we have probably ever covered on this show. Abuse of power inside the three-year campaign to impeach Donald Trump. The author, Fred Lucas, is here with us from the Heritage Foundation. Fred, it's good to have you with us here on The Blaze. How are you? Thanks for having me on, Steve. You bet, brother. So first of all, tell us why you chose to tackle this topic. Well, it was something I I covered pretty in-depth as it was happening. And um, as, as much as anything, I wanted to look into this as a historical story um we had an impeachment trial in the senate during an election year when uh, and it was based on pretty hazy charges that did not directly allege any illegal conduct and want to see how did we get there um and the truth is it did not start with a ukraine phone call one of the things you point out in your book that i think people are going to find fascinating in fact fox actually wrote about this angle that you put in your book as well is that a lot of what we ended up getting out of this story in our media is because of internal Democratic Party politics, that essentially Adam Schiff thought that this could radicalize um, uh, their base and mobilize it. Jerry Nadler, more of a grizzled veteran, was kind of moving at a traditional congressional snail space, and Schiff essentially outwitted him and radicalized this issue kind of in a way behind his back. Am I categorizing that correct, correctly? Yeah, that, that's correct. Uh, Schiff was very ambitious. Uh, Nadler was a more traditional Democrat. He didn't like Trump. Uh, they actually, the book details that Trump and Nadler had a rivalry going back to New York uh, politics when he was a developer and Nadler was in the state legislature. Uh, but uh, Nadler, uh, he wanted to move slowly on this, judiciously, um, and uh uh, basically, um, we, we had Schiff, um, who, who was actually pretty close to Pelosi, uh, and he was maneuvering in this. He um, And we eventually saw that Nadler, under some pressure, he was facing a Democratic primary back home in his district. He didn't want, to, want the same thing to happen to him that happened to Joe Crowley uh, with the AOC primary. Uh, the, the primary opponent was challenging him, saying he wasn't moving quickly enough on impeachment. And so uh, we did see him start to talk a little bit more about impeachment. But then he had these hearings, the Mueller hearing. Uh, we all remember that. That did not. That was go a disaster. Well. Yep. Right. Um, but that didn't go well for either the Intel Committee or the Judiciary Committee. But it went particularly bad for 
Nadler's committee. Uh, and then the Corey Lewandowski hearing, that was a train wreck. He just trolled them the entire time. That was another disaster, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And uh, basically, Schiff saw this as an opportunity to get in on the game. Uh, he wanted to lead the impeachment. And uh, Pelosi was pretty well convinced after seeing Nadler's performance in these hearings that he was not the guy to do this. So the idea, because the Pelosi angle, let's explore that a little bit here, Fred, because we, we saw her kind of come out and attempt to spank the squad in public a couple of years ago, right? When they were maybe getting a little too big uh, for their britches, or that was last year. And, and, and uh, branding the entire Democratic Party according to their antics. So the idea that is painted in in left press that, you know, Pelosi's the grizzled veteran here, the voice of reason here. Um, what what you're saying is based on your research that she was actually driven to produce an impeachment all along. And that's where the dissatisfaction with Jerry Nadler. She's the source of it. She um, she was actually just as reluctant, maybe maybe even a little more so okay. early on than Jerry Nadler, actually. Um she was very much pushed by the squad, and, and it does get into that. Um, she she had at some point maybe determined that she was going to have to move forward on this. Because she uh, might face a revolt on her own hands if she did not. And, and, and she did. She did face a revolt from the squad. She thought she would quash that rebellion pretty easily. She did not. They completely rolled her. Uh, and uh, as you might, might remember, AOC, the, the tried and true Democratic favorite pastime of playing the race card but she did it against pelosi and um uh and that was that was a problem for pelosi pelosi eventually had to concede to a lot of squad demands moreover uh these uh democrats who campaigned as moderates in the 2018 in red and purple districts they gave pelosi that majority in 2018 uh she wanted to protect the moderates early on however the moderates became more fearful of a primary than anything else. Hmm. Uh, and I believe the squad would lead primaries in these various red and purple districts across the country. And that became um, a bigger a bigger fear for moderates and establishment Democrats than anything else. And that's 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 uh, a bigger uh, an underlying uh, theme throughout my book, Abuse of Power. I think this may have application, Fred, to the presidential election. Given the diminishing mental capacity of Joe Biden, and who I think, frankly, has, sadly, I think he has dementia. Um, if, if you're rolling Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, on her second term of Speaker of the House, if you're rolling her like that with the power base that she has within the Democratic Party, what would they do if Joe Biden won the presidency and, and everybody knows, I mean, where he is at with his own health I think you could apply a parallel here, couldn't you, Fred? That the same people that pushed Nancy Pelosi, despite her standing in the party, to do something she was originally reluctant to do and then forced her to go all in because of internal politics, what would they do with a clear gatekeeper, um, symbolic uh, figurehead like a Joe Biden? What would they do behind the scenes in that environment? Um, that, that's a good question. I mean, we don't know yet, but... Uh Capitol Hill source that I talked to that was really well placed in this uh, said, quote, that there is a direct parallel between the rise of the squad and impeachment. So um, that that's a pretty defining issue. Uh, and, and if they were able to get their way, basically bully 
four people were able to bully the rest of Congress on that front. Uh, it is interesting because we're going to see a larger squad uh, in this next next election. Now, we were Elliot Engel was beaten uh, in his primary. So, so there's they're growing in numbers and they're going to have a, a larger contingency of a uh, young, very aggressive progressives uh, going into the next term, no matter who has the majority. What mistakes did, did Team Trump make here, Fred? Oh, uh, one, I think, was really calling it the, the perfect call. Uh, it wasn't. I, I think a lot of people wished he had handled the call with Zelensky a little bit differently. Maybe just, um, I, I think also maybe even focusing so much on Ukraine election meddling, which the book Abuse of Power, it does demonstrate there was Ukraine election meddling in 2016 uh, in favoring Hillary Clinton and uh, trying to harm Donald Trump. However, uh, a, a misstep from Trump, I think, was maybe being a sore winner, uh, even worrying about this kind of thing. Um, uh, as far you think as, he should uh, never have revisited the topic is what I hear you saying. Yeah. Should right, just right, let right. that sleeping uh, dog lie, basically. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I even make some defense in this book of uh, Mike Mick Mulvaney. I'm sorry. Mick Mulvaney, when he was chief of staff, um, he, he made this kind of bold uh, claim, get over it. Uh, politics has a place in foreign policy. Well, yes, it does. There, there's always been some type of uh, quid pro quo, for lack of a better term, uh, in, in on, on the level of foreign policy. And, and that's happened. We've seen with this, uh, uh, some of the South American countries, uh, the uh, White House put some strings attached to funding to these countries uh, to control their immigration. Uh, it's We've seen various types of quid pro quo, if you have to call it that, um, going back a long way with foreign aid and foreign engagement. So uh, when I, I think Mick Mulvaney actually said some honest things. Uh, he did not admit to he he did not say that the weaponry, uh, that the military assistance was tied in any way to uh, to investigating the Bidens or investigating Democrats. He said that he that they wanted to look into basically Ukraine crowd strike. Crowd strike might have been a little bit off as well. So, but name of the book: Abuse of Power Inside the Three Year Campaign to Impeach Donald Trump. Fred Lucas over at the Heritage Foundation. Fred, thank you for joining us and uh good luck with the book brother appreciate your uh, efforts all right take care yeah thank you for having me on steve you bet guys let's go back and revisit what i said at the end of the uh at the end of the last segment um trying to put myself in the other uh, in the democratic party's shoes and trying to figure out how if i were them i would want to contrive a momentum shift back in an environment that is friendly to me. And that would be to leverage all of my media into a panic porn about uh, waves associated with students returning to schools, things of that nature. And that's why we have to send all the kids home, shut down all the schools across the country. And that my prediction is that's going to be their, their final play these next 63 days. And really it's really, it's probably the next 40 days. Because they, they've got a, the, they, the Trump campaign has succeeded in two things here. They got Biden out of the basement and Biden has to debate now. He has to. If Biden doesn't debate, the election's over. 
He has to. He has to. <clears throat> he has to show up now. His campaign. He does. He doesn't have a lead that could absorb that hit. He has to show up now. And that that was a key part of their strategy for the Trump campaign, right? Was to get Biden on that stage in front of 100 million people. Yes. So they can. So they have to see stuff like what was in Aaron's montage, right? And you got to get Biden out on the out of the basement and with the wear and tear of actually campaigning. Okay. <clears throat> so they they've exceeded. They've succeeded in that. Or the environment has, for that matter. If I were on the other side, to me, I, I've got 40 days before that first debate, somewhere around there, whenever it takes place. But I got to do it before that first debate. And I got to get the kids sent home from school. And I've got to try to reassert the lockdown narrative. And I think the Trump presidency, this is where politics is policy and policy is politics. The Trump presidency has got to be far more bulldogged and and effective at pushing through that than they were, frankly, much of this year up against the panic porn from the moment that they extended the 15 days to slow the spread. Thoughts on that, Todd? You're, of course, right, but I think they've got to do it really quickly. I mean, if there's any truth to this Big Ten thing getting turned around, all of these cases on campus that are happening, but if they're weak and there's no piles of ash in South Dakota, forget the name of the town, the motorcycle rally. We, uh, Sturber, is that the, what it was? Something? Yeah, Sturgis. 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 Sturgis, We yes. know again, now it's been enough two to three weeks. <clears throat> right. No pile of ash. Right. And they, it, they've got to do, I mean, their window is very narrow. They've got like two weeks to play that hand. Otherwise, I think it's gone. So you don't even think they have 40 days? They got to play it like in the month of September. They have to play that. How card, do they do think? it if we're going to fill in football stadiums full of people? Because and, the, that's a good point. Because we've got these college football NFL. starts in the next couple of weeks. We had a game already. The NFL starts in a couple of weeks. That's a good. You're point. right about the hand existing. High school the, football is going on in about 29 states, I think, across the country already. Last weekend, over here in Iowa, we're, the, young men are hitting each other at full speed again. It's happening. Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, I. I I, I think what we're hearing uh, again and through that you know interview that we just uh, heard, heard as well, the, these people will do anything by hook and by by hook or by crook. I mean, you can't you they have to play if you are anything of what's left in America and you're in politics, you have to play simultaneously for the future. You have to look five, six steps down the road, and you have to take advantage of whatever the environment is presenting you right here and right now. And so the Trump campaign can't be concerned with this yet, but they need to be thinking about it. There's a piece, uh, there's a piece out at Axios today talking about how some uh, Bloom, Michael Bloomberg-funded uh, Democrat consulting group is sounding the alarm bells that because of mail-in voting... Trump could win in a landslide on election night, but then in the ensuing you know days and weeks later, it's actually going to be Biden who's going to win. They're just going to lout this uh, hanging Chad themselves to death as well. So there are going to be myriads, myriads of things that the Trump campaign is going to have to contend with uh, from here on in, but it's looking good right now. Fake news or not, coming your way next. Greetings. Welcome back. Hour two, live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the program. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Parlor at Steve Dace. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace is now where you can go as well to get samples of this show that uh, you can view for free and then share with others. And the last name is D. 
G-E-A-C-E. If you're a podcast listener, we love you every bit as much as everyone else. Please, though, do us two favors if you haven't done so already. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button wherever you're podcasting from. And then leave us a five-star review if you like us. Thousands of you have done this for the show already. We could use thousands more. Those things help the show to grow. Thanks to all of you who have done those things for us already. And also, don't forget my new book, A Nefarious Carol, a novella sequel to A Nefarious Plot, comes out December the 15th. Pre-sales are available right now at Amazon.com if you want to go there. Amazon.com, A Nefarious Carol. Let's get to fake news or not. Brought to you by Brickhouse. Now that America is opening up, that doesn't mean, though, everything with our health is okay. We still got to wash our hands, social distance every now and then. And we still need our field of greens from Brickhouse Nutrition. One scoop has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables, which boost energy, support a healthy immune system. COVID, by the way, we've talked about this, the common comorbidities. Involving the immune system. So strengthen yours with a diet rich in fruits and vegetables and field of greens can do that. Uh, It's also prebiotic and probiotic. Why does that matter? Well, that helps with the gut health. What's the largest uh, immunity system in the body? It's the gut. All right. So one scoop, you put it in a glass of water, stir, mix it up, and you're done. And right now you can save 15% off your first order with the offer code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. Get 15% off your first order of Field of Greens. Look at this like a uh, a, me, a, a green machine, uh, one of those drinks without the 90 grams of sugar. That's essentially what this is, all right? Uh, You can get an offer code Steve. Get 15% off at BrickHouseSteve.com. And if you want to subscribe, have it come to your house every single month. They'll take another 10% off every month with that promo code Steve as well. BrickHouseSteve.com, promo code Steve. All right, we're going to do something, uh, well, that we used to do with fake news or not, that we don't do very often anymore. But I've also never seen a presidential candidate have to feel like they have to reboot their candidacy right after the convention either. You know, normally you got a few months to think about that convention and the messages you want to send and the faces you want to show, right? Well, Joe Biden called and said, uh, just wait till we have our convention. Yes. Well, apparently, you know, we've heard all year long, wait two weeks. Well, apparently we had to wait two weeks for the real Democratic convention. They had the convention. Then they saw the Republicans have theirs like, oh, bleep. All right, here's what we really meant, guys. Two weeks, all right? So two weeks to flatten their own curve uh, (laughs) that's trending downward at the moment. And yesterday, he attempted to hit that reboot in Pittsburgh. It was originally going to be an event, then it was going to be a press conference. It just turned out to be Dementia Joe in front of a teleprompter, reading statements, and then not taking any questions for about 15 minutes. I have selected five clips from this, and... Since I know you guys are going to ask me, what do you, what's the context? And I almost never tell you what I want the context to be because I want to know what you think the context is, right? This time, though, I'm going to provide a context, okay? Is this effective, both the messaging as well as the messenger in what its desired outcome is? The, they, the desired outcome here is to reboot Biden's campaign and try to recast him now as a figure of the old moderate Democratic establishment, Okay. So that's when when I ask you, is this fake news or not? Did this clip accomplish its desired goal? All right. Got it. We begin with with Biden attempting to attack Trump on the virus. COVID has taken this year, just since the outbreak, has taken more than 100 years. 
look, here's the lives. It's just it's when I mean, you think about it. More lives this year than any other year for the past hundred years. Todd, fake news or not? Well, let's go to the second one. The messenger. Yikes. Um, no, not effective. Uh, the first part, the message. Can I, can I ask you a question I've yeah. been wrestling with since you, we brought this up again? I, I really feel bad dunking on an old dude who's clearly anywhere from senile to riddled with dementia. I'm also pushing 50, and therefore, by the grace of God, go I here in, in, in the not-too-distant future, right? I feel bad about it. On the other hand, in this context... If a major American political party chose to put this in front of us and then say, you need to entrust your future to this, should I? Or should I say, folks, now he's not just Grandpa Joe. You're telling me to put my future, my kid's future, my business's future in the hands of somebody who clearly isn't competent. So do I need to mercifully point that out still with a disclaimer or not? What do you no. think? No. This is not this, really him. This is the President of the United States and he's he's being propped up by people who are winking and nodding about burning cities down and lying about science. So no. no don't waste another second thinking about that anymore. Alright, finish your answer. As far Sorry as about the, that interruption. No, no, no. So, and I think that's gonna... I'm, there's no way the messenger is gonna be good so it's just about the messaging uh no that's not effective we're we're right now we're returning to school we're returning to a lot of of things uh to to stamp fear on the hearts of everybody at this moment is not a hopeful message you can reset what we've gone through but he's clearly trying to keep the fear ginned up there that's not effective Aaron, what do you think? And it's it varies whether it's Biden himself or his handlers. Of course, the the messenger there is is very bad. But whether it's his handlers who are developing whatever that message is, it's really really sloppy and really haphazard. Because in a span of a week, I believe it was a week, maybe a week and a half, Biden says if he were president, he'd lock down the country again. Once a national mask mandate. A week later, or however long it was, just at the end of last week, he started airing an ad in Arizona, Pennsylvania. Michigan, Wisconsin, showing pictures of open of, of empty Michigan stadiums, Camp Randall stadiums, Beaver Stadium, saying, if I'm elected president, we'll get back in the game. It didn't have to be this way. Pick a message. But obviously, they're trying to play both sides of this. If I was president, we wouldn't be here right now. But if I was president, I'd lock down things all over again. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So this whole thing, I mean, part of me wanted to say it's true news because that is essential. That is uh, un, un, uh, that, that is concentrated Joe Biden right now. It's both the, the, the sad state of the man and the messaging of his necromancers. So that is, that is the most accurate window into the soul of the joe biden campaign so for that reason i i think it's it's true news but of course the actual content is fake i can't wait to get you guys's reaction and analysis to this clip this is joe biden yesterday attempting to be glib think tomorrow and the day after and the day after because she'll never give up white black latino asian american native americans everybody i'm in this campaign for you 
no matter your color, no matter your zip code, no matter your politics. When I think of the presidency, I don't think about myself. It isn't about my brand. It's about you, the American people. We can do better, and we have to do better. And I promise you this, we will do better. You know, the road back begins now in this campaign. You know me. You know my heart. You know my story, my family story. Ask yourself, do I look like a radical socialist with a soft spot for rioters? Really? I'm not going to say a word about my own thoughts because I want to know what you guys think first. Aaron, fake news or not? Do I look like a radical with a soft spot for rioters? That's that's his words. Um, dude, if you're answering or I'm sorry, if you're asking that question somewhere along the, the way, your handlers or yourself <laughs> took a wrong turn. If you're standing in front of a nation and saying um, and saying uh, something along the lines of. You know, if I did it. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, that's fake news. I'm glad. No, I'm gonna let you comment first, Todd. I'm gonna keep my promise. I'll be quiet. Go ahead, Todd. Well, the first, whatever, three quarters of that was, you know, he wasn't bumbling, rumbling, mm-hmm. stumbling. Mm-hmm. It, it was kind of sounded like old Joe. Mm-hmm. But that last part, it was so open. I'm like, what do you need me to be? Do you need do you need me to be that? I'm good. If not, otherwise I'll go, Joe. Uh, it's it's not something like any president in any party throughout American history leaves that kind of thing open-ended. You say the opposite of that thing. You say year and no further. Uh, you say, what can my country do for you? You know, you make declaratives. You do not just float trial balloons of chaos like that ever. You guys had the same analysis. I, you both did. Um, I, I thought the opening of that clip is very strong, actually. And it, if you've been involved or informed in politics for a long period of time in America, you know Joe Biden because he's been a fixture in American politics since uh, basically my my entire life now. And the opening of that clip was kind of now just like a seventy-five-year-old version of the Joe Biden you've seen your his entire career right mm-hmm. just a little bit older you know a little more tread on the tires but yeah that's joe biden that's how he communicates okay but at the end and he, i think if he just would have stopped there that is a very effective clip you could put that in an ad if you're them spread that around and you use that message to kind of counter the narrative against you right now but at the end and he's not and you can tell he's not reading one of the teleprompters on the side that this is now coming it's looking straight at you where it kind of feels like it's kind of coming from the heart right but that part at the end first of all aaron i completely agree um if if you are verbalizing something like that you're injecting that into your own ecosphere okay the fact that you feel like you have to answer that is bad number one and then I don't know what he does there with his face and his eyes, right? Where it's clear that they like worked on this and 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 there was a he was coached to kind of give a certain off a certain vibe. And it just felt like 
he dunked on himself, right? You know, I mean, like he just take yes for an answer. You had me, you had the sale. And now I'm like, eh, not so sure. I, I don't know. The ending of that I found unsettling. Well, you compare it to the great speeches, you know, the only thing we have to fear, fear itself. And he's, he's trying, that's like his declarative. Yeah. That's. Do not- I look like a socialist with a soft spot for rioters? I don't know. They got to work on the, I think the performance angle of that one a little bit more. They're going to trot that one out again. Well, if that's you, if your team is feeding that to you, if you have to your team sucks. That, yeah. yeah. There is a performance there. I mean, his facial contortions and everything are dramatically different than they are the whole rest of that clip. He's clearly trying to communicate a certain body language and it, that's not what got communicated. Uh, at least not to us. All right. Um, this is Joe Biden, essentially. I, I don't know how else to put this. He's, he's blackmailing people to vote for him. I don't know how else to say it. Here it is. Premises and vigilantes with assault weapons, often better armed than the police, often in the middle of the violence at the protesters and aiming it there. And because tens of millions of Americans simply don't trust this president to respect their rights, to hear their concerns, or to protect them. It doesn't have to be this way. When President Obama and I were in the White House, we had to defend federal property. We did it. We didn't see it. You didn't see us whipping up fears around the deployment of secret federal troops. We just did our job. And the federal property was protected. When President Obama and I were in office, we didn't look at cities as Democratic or Republican run. These are American cities. But Trump doesn't see himself as president for all of America. Frankly, I believe if I were president today, the country would be safer and we've seen a lot less violence. And here's why. One of the things he goes on to say there is, do you really believe if Trump is reelected, the protest will go away? So, Aaron, fake news or not? This is... uh, this is fake news as I just the, the weird the diabolical nature of the necromancers of Joe Biden who know and and have known I have to believe that they're just using sadly again a, a husk or shell of what the man used to be in order to ride him and use him for their own progressive terrible political purposes using an old man riddled with dementia for their own purposes as diabolical as that is i don't understand what their dang messaging is they're playing they're talking out of but it's surely if they're that diabolical they can come up with a little bit more intelligent of uh, uh, of messaging because in that clip we heard Okay, so there was there was violence and 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 things like that during your tenure as well. But I thought this was only under Trump's America. But now you're saying that if 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 you continue to vote, if you vote for Trump again, or if he's reelected, it's going to continue. I, I just don't understand how they're trying to. I, I I don't understand what they're trying to do here. The the messaging is incredibly confusing. Uh, it's very lukewarm and when you present it in that manner like Barack Obama just because of his mannerisms and the way and he's a likable guy you know he could have said that and most people would be oh okay but Joe Biden when he's just 
obviously reading off of a teleprompter and, and fumbling over his words, and then you actually analyze the message a little bit it, itself, it's just, it, it doesn't go anywhere or do anything. What, what, what you're describing is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we looked at that data point that by 20 points, people were voting in, that were supporting him, were voting against Trump and not for him. And how I and, and why I said it's possible his candidacy is a bubble. You cannot sustain that. Ultimately, for president, people want to vote for somebody. It is why, since we started keeping this stat in 1960, with the advent of the television era, every presidential candidate that had the higher favorables has won every single time. The one exception to that was in 2016. But they were both so far underwater. They both had negative favorability ratings, so it was kind of irrelevant stat. But in the end, we want to vote for someone for president. We're going to see this person on our screen every day for the next four years. We want to like them. We want to uh, admire them in some way or or at least think that they're cool. Um, and and that's the problem is he's what you're saying, Aaron, there that I hear anyway, is he's trying to take Barack Obama's messaging without Barack Obama's packaging. Yeah. And that dog just doesn't hunt. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Todd, your thoughts. Oh, this is a, this is the most traditionally fake news of everything. When he talks about we we didn't see those as a uh, uh right red cities or blue we saw these as American cities. La come on. The, you are the people of gun bitter clingers and guns and religion exactly. and yeah. his, Obama's wife. This is the first time I've ever been proud of my country and you're also responsible for taking the Benghazi issue Benghazi issue and talking about a uh, videotape from a crazy bible No, 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 no. You were never that. That that one just flat out that one makes me the most mad. And that's why I'll never like Cuz you feel this gaslighting. Oh, and it's like yeah. and why I won't get Biden. No, sorry. Uh, what, whatever lucid moments you have when you're not riddled by dementia, you should know better and you should get out if you're going to do this. No, no, no. All right. Remember in the first, maybe it was by the second debate, Biden had essentially taken back every one of his previous well, positions we call moderate today. Um, his previous support of the Hyde Amendment, uh, uh, you know, he was going to ban fracking and all this kind of stuff, right? Okay. Um, and so by the end of the second Democratic debate, he had given up all the reasons you'd actually vote for him. He he wasn't going to be a soft landing at all. He attempts to address one of those issues in this clip. That will restore a sense of security for working families. We won't just build things back the way they were before. We're going to build them back better with good paying jobs. Building our nation's roads, bridges, solar arrays, windmills, with investments in our health care and child care workers so they get the pay and dignity they deserve while easing the financial burdens on millions of families. With a clean energy strategy that is a place for the energy workers right here in Western Pennsylvania. I am not banning fracking. Let me say that again. I am not banning fracking. All right. Todd, fake news or not? Uh, well, fake news because I, I don't... The, the, the thrust of progressivism is that there, there's no thing within the realm of science. And we're learning that every single day for the last six months that won't be lied about bent twisted for whatever reason he's saying that now he will have an opposite reason why it must be done here in just a month because 
now we know something different. He can't be trusted about that. But is that effective? I didn't ask you about the merit of the argument. Remember, that's not the context um, of this challenge. The challenge is, is that an effective pivot? Because that's what they're trying to do. No, because it's not believable. Okay. Aaron, what do you think? If I can't frack, I can't frack, man. I mean, listen, we're talking about fracking. Not a game. Not a game. We're talking about fracking. Seriously, this is your. Did you like? Did, did the, the the Biden necromancers in their basement like have a target and like some darts and they had a bunch of moderate issues and they just threw? Oh yeah, fracking. We're not. We're not against fracking now. Uh, get out there and say that, Joe. We're talking about fracking. I mean, this is of all the issues right now pressing yeah, America. Yeah, it's not believable. It's fracking. You're saying it seems like an odd place. To plant your to moderate, plant your fl- flag. moderate flag, even in Pennsylvania. I haven't heard that word this year, guys. I'm not joking. Like, where did this come from? I don't know. They must have some polling focus grouping saying they're hurt. That issue was killing them in Pennsylvania, and it sounds to me. I, I thought of all the videos we had, this one was the was the most effective. If only because it's the kind of thing you've heard Joe Biden say his entire political career until about 10 months ago, right? Okay, we, I mean, this is, this is more of your traditional democratic messaging. Um, and, but the fact that they just chose to, to, that's the one we're going with. It does, I think, also feed the notion, and which is, seems like what you're kind of getting at, Aaron, that this entire candidacy is contrived. Yeah. Here are the talking Here, points we need you to say today, Joe. Okay. Here's what in my head. I, I just realized why, because this is Christy Nome and, and South Dakota is very much kind of being built, and fracking is big up in yep. the Dakotas. Yep. Is, is the new Texas, and she's she's riding with that. I mean, yeah. the commer- putting out this, ads, hey, come move to our state. If your state hates freedom, yes. we love you here. So yeah. This felt like what we always experience every four years in Iowa and ethanol. They yeah. felt that yeah. like that's a good that. analogy. Yeah. And my point, nobody really believes it. Everybody's just checking boxes and like, can we just do the perfunctory nonsense and get right. on with it? Right. That's what it felt like. It's just, it's not believable. It's important, it, fracking, ethanol, whatever, right. but no one believes <clears throat> anybody really cares. That this is your front burner, yes. read my lips, I'm not banning fracking. Yes. Right? Okay. One more clip. Uh, this is Biden now attempting to pivot to attack Trump on lockdowns and the economy. Plan he doesn't have and the pain being felt by millions of Americans. He said this week, and I quote, you better vote for me or you're going to have the greatest depression you've ever seen. Does he not understand and see the tens of millions of people who've had to file for unemployment this year so far? The people who won't be able to make next month's rent payment? The people who lost wages while the cost of groceries have gone up dramatically? President Obama and I stopped the Depression in 2009. We took a bad economy that was falling and turned it around. Trump took a good economy and drove it back into the ditch. All right, Aaron, fake news or not? 
fake news, but this, I mean, if, if the roles were reversed as well, it's always when the economy is good, uh, you know, the, the previous occupant of the White House, uh, they try to take all the you know, credit. Uh, when the economy is bad, the previous occupant always says, well, uh, I made it good and they drove it into the ground. This is just boilerplate. Uh, economic sniping as far as the actual uh, merits to the to the argument there i mean guys i it's it's not up for debate the jobs numbers under trump now whether or not they were you know great paying jobs uh every, all of the all of the best metrics were heading up were heading upwards and yes you can t- there's going to be five listener well you know this metric right here it was doing well. It was it was doing better, getting better. And so I, you know, as far as that as far as that talking point goes, driving it into the ditch, guys. This is the same dude who said like two weeks ago he said he was going to lock us back down again. So again, it's fake news. Todd, yeah, I. It's utterly fake news. The be- the best that he could do is re- is remind people just very loosely about 2009 and we helped turn things around it, it, but once you go into specifics about how trump did this that, that that's you can't make that that hold up this economy as if there is no such thing as this uh the, the, this virus and and the lockdowns you, because you remind people like Aaron said the the messaging is just chaotic to me this is this messaging is their path to winning the election the the problem is they preemptively yeah stifled it yeah all right i mean joe biden at the time that trump was trying to use the White House as a, as, as a bully pulpit for the reopening of schools. It's not safe. If I was president, all the schools would be shut down. Okay? We then have a convention um, where there's really no moderation on this at all. He then gives an interview after the convention where he says, absolutely, we have to lock everything back down again. I'd listen to the experts. We've got to lock it back down. If they had never done any of those things, you know, I, I had warned throughout the, the, the darkest times of the lockdown that eventually they were going to pivot to blaming Trump for um, the crash of the economy for doing what they wanted him to do, which was lock things down. They, they never got there. Now, I suspect they're going to try to do that between now and Election Day, but, it, but to me, they missed the window to do so. The, the, the time to do that was in May and June and and now they've they're they're just too much on record that it's not safe that we shouldn't return um uh, it, and lockdown is too popular with a segment of their own base frankly okay that's why Trump is calling Kevin Warren and not calling Larry Scott the commissioner of the Pac-12 they don't want to play football they want to live in fear out there i mean they're they're very proud of the fact they're not playing I mean, I, I listened to the David Shaw, the Stanford coach. Our, our players are like elated they didn't have to play football this year. It's like a relief. Okay, great. You know, cool. I mean, it's it's they're you know they're gonna they're gonna wait for a couple vaccines before they play football. You know, Pac-12 football. We're gonna be like in 2025. We're gonna be like remember when the Pac-12 played football? Okay, there's a reason he's not calling them. It's not open for debate out there. It, this is popular with a with a sizable portion of their own base. 
So it's too late, I think, to make that pivot now. Uh, and that's why I think uh, the more likely play, as I said last hour, right. is they're going to try to contrive a panic porn second wave to shut the schools back down. They are team lockdown. Joe Biden had months that he could have pivoted and Trump left that just as they have left Trump all kinds of room now to occupy the mainstream instinctive thought of America. Trump left them this room for months. Right. They could have occupied this space. They chose not to. They made that choice and they thought, hey, running hard left, running kook left, lock it all down, wait until Big Pharma tells us they've got a fake vaccine. That's our play. Okay, you made that bed now. The idea that you're going to pivot away from this, just it's like Michael Dukakis coming out and saying, hey, I'm going to have more death penalty than George H.W. Bush after the Willie Horton ad comes out. It's just not believable. Everybody knows what your brand is now at this point. Pop Culture Tuesday is next. Have you ever seen people go running with their dogs? I run with my dog. You do run with your dog. Yeah. Who's the who keeps up? Well, now my dog is a nine, and it's she's having a harder time keeping up with me. It's just come to that point. But she's really sixty three, right? In, in dog years, exactly. Yeah. But beforehand, you know, I had to work. Did you? Okay. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine running with my dog. Could you imagine me out there with well, our little Bichon running around the oh, neighborhood? No, that, you, that's not a running dog. That's not a picture that we <laughs> want to no, think of. No. <laughs> you, you think you got made fun of last week for something to do with your dog? I can't I, I, remember what it was. Cap's just out there trying to sniff stuff. I'm like, come on, come on. Yeah. Right? All right. Um, nevertheless, and people run with their dogs, right? It's a good way to get your dog in shape, keep them healthy, those kinds of things. You need to take a look at your dog's diet, though, as well, because a lot of the foods we're feeding our dogs these days are sterilized of the good stuff, just like a lot of the foods that we do, and for the same reasons. So they can be mass-produced for a long shelf life. And so a lot of those prebiotics and probiotics, so mega oils, uh, vitamins, and minerals are taken out. And just like we need supplements to put that stuff back in, so do our pets as well. That's where Rough Greens Vitasmart comes in. It is not a pet food. It's a pet food supplement. And it's just a powder you put on your pet's food each day. And apparently it tastes great too because our dog Cap absolutely loves this stuff. And it puts all the good stuff missing from your pet's food right back in their food. If you want to give it a shot right now and see if you don't see a difference in your dog in two weeks or less, try the 14-day Jumpstart Challenge today for just $14.95 at roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F for Rough Greens. R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. So over the weekend, I wrote a story for, uh, for SI that has gone viral. For Sports Illustrated. And some of you may or may not know, I own the Michigan site on the Sports Illustrated Network. And I've, I've been very frustrated at the debate about whether the Big Ten should play or not. Because what's left out of this whole debate is data. And you know me, I'm into the data. I want to know what's the data say. Guys, I love my college football. If the data said it wasn't safe to play, I'd be like, I don't, as much as it would suck, I don't think they should play. Okay? I'm I'm a follow the data guy, even if it takes me where I don't want it to go. And 
I put this piece together because there's a lot of instinctive debating happening here. And on one side, it's instinctively, do we play football. And on the other side, it's instinctively, dude, we got to Karen up here. But, but what does the actual data say? And I would venture to guess that a lot of people on both sides of this argument have, unless they're fans of this show and maybe a few others, have probably never seen any of this data. They're just reacting to what they see in the media. Or, and, and that's where the Karen concept comes from with the panic porn. Or, because you know that usually the people that peddling that are lying to you, you just instinctively rebel against it, but you can't really quantify why you're not down to clown. You just know that these, well, these are the same people that lied to me about Russian collusion and Kavanaugh, right? And so, I know that they, I, I don't know why they're lying to me. I just assume they must it's be a, lying to me about this. Fair instinct to have. <laughs> I'm not, listen, I'm not telling you not to act on that, okay? But, if you want to persuade people in an argument, that you're going to reach a lot of the people that already have the same instincts as you do with that argument. But if you want to persuade people that maybe they don't have those instincts, you got to have data. Okay? And so over the weekend for SI, I wrote this piece looking at the data in the Big Ten. And I want to share it this week for Pop Culture Tuesday at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism, especially now today. We were already going to do this. But now we have word from the president, and the Big Ten has just confirmed that a conversation did take place between the President of the United States and Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. The Big, the Big Ten statement is interesting. Uh, the White House reached out to us, almost like they need to, uh, hey, 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 hey we, we're not talking to Orange Man bad. That actually helps Trump, I think, actually more. This shows him actually taking initiative, doing stuff. It goes to what I said last hour. He was not passive this time, as he was with the rioting in June. This time, he acted. He went right at the city of Portland. He went right at the governor of Wisconsin. His messaging is very pointed, sharp, on the money. He picked up the phone. He called the governor or the commissioner of the Big Ten. See, whoever initiates is the adult. Whoever initiates is the alpha. And the president should be the initiator and should be the alpha. I think it looks kind of bad, actually, if Kevin Warren says, I had to call the president because they couldn't get this virus under control. Mm -hmm. We're trying to play football, right? All these optics are the reason he could sweep the Midwest. Yes. Him picking up the phone and saying, guys, this is the president calling. What you doing? Yeah. Okay. That, to me, is an alpha move. People want their president, Republican or Democrat, to be an alpha. That's what they want. Okay. So let me share this data with you. And this is as of Saturday at noon when I wrote this piece. All right. So here's what I put in this article for Sports Illustrated that has now gone viral. Uh, I just got an email or a text from a buddy of mine. The Bongino Report actually put this up as well. So thank you. According to CDC, only 6% of deaths can be directly tied to having died from COVID as opposed to with COVID, meaning 94% of those who have sadly perished had other pre-existing comorbidities that could have led to their deaths. Given the age and prime health of college football players, this is a key data point. That's why I led with it. How many college football players have a pre-existing comorbidity? Now, there are some. The quarterback at TCU, Max Dugan, uh, or Duggan, who's from Iowa, actually, it was because of the testing they have done with COVID and then the attention to cardiac um, uh, uh, inflammation as a result of a viral outbreak that they did find in a previously unidentified pre-existing condition with him that left untreated could have been a serious problem with his heart. 
And now because of this, they're going to spend the year treating it. Hopefully he can return to playing football again next year. All right, so there, there will be some, but by and large, how many 20-year-old football players have a pre-existing comorbidity? Number's going to yeah. be really low, guys. That's why the Max Duggan news at TCU made national news because it's not often you find a pre-existing, uh, morbid, comorbid, uh, 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 pre-existing morbidity with a college football player. There was one at another school. I think it was um, one of the group of five schools. I can't remember now. And he thanked the school and said, hey, thankfully you guys were testing for this and found it. Otherwise, I'd have never known about this. So thank you. And this these pre-existing, it's not like it's unheard of, but it's extremely rare. Like I can think of maybe one or two Hawkeye football players in my life who yeah. just stopped playing because they found they had an issue with their heart and they're like, you know what? The chances of me get making it at the next level are pretty slim anyway, so I'm just right, right. going to hang it up. Next data point, according to CDC, confirmed hospitalizations for COVID nationwide are now at their lowest total since March 21st. And of course, because I'm writing for Sports Illustrated, that isn't exactly a right-wing publication. I'm going to make sure I'm citing all of this data. And and if I wrote this for The Blaze, I'd have to cite a point like that for anybody. Okay, but given Sports Illustrated's political bent, which is fine, it's their, they can have any political bent they want. I'm, I believe in freedom. But I understood what, that they were going to be very skeptical of me just stating these things. So all of this in the article is exceedingly documented. Okay. Um, only 2.9%, look at this stat, only 2.9% of the available hospital beds in the Big Ten footprint are currently being used for COVID patients. Think about that. The curve is flattened. That's an amazing number. How did I get it? Uh, I, I, I went to the Beckett Healthcare Report, which has been stratifying this from the COVID tracking project. How many hospital beds and how many total hospital beds there are in each state and how many in each state are being currently occupied for COVID patients. So that's where I got that number from. According to CDC, only 1.9% of ER visits nationwide are for COVID-like symptoms, which means 98.1% of Americans are going to the ER for something other than coronavirus. According to the latest active case numbers, only 0.26% of people living in the Big Ten footprint are an active confirmed case of coronavirus. This did not include the testing. I, I left that out of this. All right, so I'm not including the New York Times study on our our testing flaws. I'm going by the I'm taking the testing numbers at face value. How did I get this? I went to Worldometer, which tracks this all in real time, and I went state by state. How many active cases were in each state in the Big Ten footprint? And then I divided it by about the 85.2 million people that live in the Big Ten footprint. And if you divide it by 85.2 million, you come up with 0.26% of people in the Big Ten footprint. Even with us exaggerating now, our positive test cases by anywhere from 40 to 90%, only 0.26% of people in the Big Ten footprint are currently an active case for coronavirus. According to CDC, since March, only 1.5% of deaths to those aged 15 to 24 have been with COVID. 1.5% since the beginning of the pandemic. That's it. According to CDC, 15 to 24-year-olds represent 12.9% of the U.S. population, but just 0.2% of all COVID deaths. 
I talked about the NFL, which has completed, now has completed training camps and is getting ready for the season. Right now, one player is on the NFL COVID reserve test or list. One player out of 2,560 players. One is on the confirmed, set apart, quarantined COVID reserved list. But they're in a bubble one. though, right? They're not. They're, they're, hmm. they're not in a singular bubble. Each team is practicing at its own facility, but then the players go to a hotel or home that night, depending on that team's procedures. They're all contact traced. They all have their temperatures checked when they come into the facility every day. But they are not in a singular bubble like what's going on in the NHL where they're all is in Edmonton, I think it is, and another location. And then in the NBA, they're all in Orlando. They're not in a singular bubble. They're doing it the Sweden way. Yeah. And it's that's a proof of concept that can be emulated in a college setting as well. Uh, a leading cardiologist at the University of Michigan doesn't believe myocarditis, the heart inflammation, is enough of a concern to justify canceling football. A top genetic cardiologist at the prestigious Mayo Clinic has said the same. And so if the Big Ten, it, it leaked to some of its people in the media, Nicole Auerbach at The Athletic is basically, and she's a Michigan grad and a good college football reporter and nice on TV, but she essentially is a stenographer for the Big Ten. That's essentially what she is. And she's not alone, guys. There's all kinds of people in the media, right and left, that are stenographers for their sources. The Big Ten is one of her main sources. That's why she's on the Big Ten Network. When Nicole Auerbach has a breaking news story from the Big Ten, it's basically the Big Ten gave her the story. Okay, And the Big Ten gave her the story that they were seeing an alarming amount of myocarditis cases from players, anywhere from 10 to 15, already in just the preliminary workouts they were doing. Well, as I point out in the Sports Illustrated article I wrote, why are they still letting those workouts go on then? Every school in the Big Ten is still doing these workouts, practicing every day. If you were seeing myocarditis flare-ups from these workouts, so you shut the season down, then why did you let these workouts go on? Why didn't you shut all the workouts down then, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you want them to do that if they were seeing something like this? Yes. If that was your kid, wouldn't you be like, hey, shut them all down? Yeah. Then why is my kid still practicing then? What's, what sense does that make? Answer, none. <clears throat> there have been three major testing innovations just since the Big Ten made its announcement. All with saliva-based tests, the University of Illinois, the NBA Players Association one through Yale University that costs just $4 a sample. Abbott Labs just announced one that they can sell to the public that is a self-contained one for just $5 a unit. So that was one of the main objections the Big Ten listed was a lack of affordable, accurate testing. These are all emergency-approved, FDA-approved tests right out of their own footprint. One of them is. So that objection's been answered. So here's my question. Given how densely populated the Big Ten region is, 85.2 million people live in this region. How could we possibly get these numbers any lower without a meaningful vaccine? Not some Theraflu or a seasonal shot. A meaningful vaccine. And... Without that or natural herd immunity, if we're not going to, if we're going to pretend that that doesn't exist, Sweden, then how do we get these numbers any lower? When is it safe to play then? How could these numbers be any lower without those two things among 85 million people? Gentlemen, your thoughts. Well, the longer this goes on, and I'm even seeing this in some of the most, um, Karen-y, uh panic porn star members of the Iowa football media, which is the team that I follow the most in the Big Ten, of course. Even they're like, come on. 
Big Ten. Let's uh, come on. You're 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 uh, urinating on all of us and telling us that it's raining. Even some of those people who have been the most obnoxious about this entire thing have borderline cheered for the season to be canceled are now being like, wait, this is all you got for me. When those types of people are turning on you, um, you know, you, you better repent, run for the hills. Uh, essentially, you're on the wrong side of history, really wrong side of history. And here's here's the, the most um, disconcerting part. If you worry about optics at all in the Big Ten. All this would take. Is a statement saying, you know what, four weeks ago, three weeks ago, what have you. We really honestly just wanted to err on the side of caution. We, we did go. not see, right. yep. we did not foresee these <clears throat> rapid testing kits becoming available. Um, you know, some of the, some of our states still aren't doing that great, but others really, you know, they continue to flatten the curve and, and we salute them for that. And, uh, you know, at this point we believe it's, it's safe to play come start, uh, October, middle of October, uh, and we'll continue to monitor things now. We are going to, uh, you know, take a game out of the schedule. It's just going to be an eight game. They could easily mitigate this. Just saying, you know what? We didn't anticipate some of this good news that happened. So the only reasons that they would not do that, well, I think you know the only reasons that they wouldn't do that. Either A, they're just all really, really proud chickens, or two, uh, it's <clears throat> political. That's well said. What do we add to that? Because just, they, they have the out. <clears throat> yeah. Pardon me. As Aaron said, they have the out to save face now. That's, that's why he's, you're seeing even some of these Karens come around because all the fig leaves are being ripped off. They, they don't have any excuses left, right? There's no valid reasons to justify this. I mean, they're playing high school football in Ohio and Indiana in their own, in Iowa within, in Nebraska in their own footprint right now. They're going to play high school football in New Jersey, guys. Second hardest hit state in the union. How do you, you can't justify this. No, you can't, but that's the problem with the <clears throat> level of expert ego that educrats have. You, they, they, they so badly need this certain segments of life to stay in their lane because they're the ones that need to be trusted. For them to turn on that, they have to turn on their entire professional existence. I think they're about to do that, though, because their professional existence is being threatened yes. in ways they did not anticipate. Yep. All right, we're going to stick around and do the overtime. Hey, what happened if Bernie Sanders had been the nominee? How might the last few months have been different? We'll get into that in the overtime. For the rest of you, see you tomorrow. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.